Casey Freshour, give him a hand. Broke it. Oh. Good morning, guys. Yes, that is me. Not, not the ending things, but the beginning things. I am the associate pastor here at Fellowship Church, um, and I get a privilege to share with you guys just some things that are my heart and some things that, um, as we go through this series of Eli, um, Anthony has handed me this portion. We get to talk about chariots of fire today. Whenever you think of Elijah, is that kind of like the first thing you think of maybe? You're like, oh, that's that guy that kind of got burned up or something, right? He like disappeared and people didn't know who he was. And I'm, I'm, I might be the only one. I mean, he did other cool things, I'm sure, but his, en- his exit was pretty dang sweet. So, um, so today, yeah, we're just going to focus on that and specifically focusing on Elisha. Because as, as we've heard and as we heard last week, what Anthony talked about, um, this mantle has been sort of passed on to Elisha. Elijah came to him while he was at his farm, and we talked about pirates and burning ships because Elisha basically burned his ships. He burned and got rid of everything that was holding him back so that he was willing and able to then go on ministry with Elijah. And so <clears throat> we had a, an insane amount of application to go out of that, and I don't know about you, but I know I had a lot of things come up in my life that I was like, what is holding me back? What is, what is keeping me from, from going all in? What is, um, what is making me feel like maybe I can't or, or I have these responsibilities that are, are going to keep me back? So I hope that you guys were challenged by that last week. I know Anthony brought the message <clears throat> in a way that really spoke to me. And so uh, what we're going to focus on today is basically, <laughs> it's like years later. <laughs> so this whole thing happened. We see Elisha get get handed, and, and the way that Elijah does it, he gives him his cloak, right? He, he puts his cloak over, and he said, okay, it's time for you to come with me. Well, we're going to pick it up way later. So we left Elijah in 1 Kings 19. They just left Elijah's house. Um, they're on mission together, <clears throat> and he, he left nothing behind, like I had said, and this was his life now. But where we're skipping to is pretty far, pretty far forward. So far, in fact, that basically every kingdom has a new king. Um, And this is relevant, we'll hear about in a little bit later, but Jehoshaphat is now the king of Judah, which you guys have probably heard that, because that's like the worst name to be given as a child. I'm sure kindergarten was rough for him. I mean, it's rough for those kind of guys. And then the son of King Ahab is now the king over Israel. And Ahab, who we heard about earlier, unfortunately, has died. Oh, poor guy. This guy was pretty messed up. He's the husband of Jezebel, which you've probably have heard Jezebel, Pretty, pretty messed up woman. But Ahab was literally in battle. They went to go to battle, even though Elijah told them, hey, you're going to die. He's like, no, that's not true. Well, literally as he's leaving, some random dude is just like, oh, this bow and arrow looks pretty cool. Like, and Elijah, or as Ahab is escaping, literally this arrow just hits him in the perfect spot. It says it hits him right where his scale armor wasn't, pierces him, and he plays it super cool. He's like, servant, take me away right now. I need to get out of here. So he stands there for a while, and he ends up succumbing to his wounds, and he dies. And in classic Old Testament fashion, dogs drink his blood, because that's what Elijah said would happen. And sure enough, as as he passed away, dogs drank his blood. Why is that significant? I think Elijah just has a messed up sense of humor, really. But we see that 
there is connections that we won't, we won't be focusing on today, but I just want to let you know, this is the scene. This is where we're at. Ahab has passed away. His son now has taken over as king. And we're jumping right now into 2 Kings 2, 1 through 6. I'm going to read this first portion um, with you, and uh, we won't have it actually on the slides. I Anyway, I'll just be reading it aloud. If you have your Bible with you, you can go to the app. You can go do whatever you need to do to get here. Second Kings 2 is where we're going to start. So I'll give you a second to get there. So I'll read this out now. Oh, wow. Thank you, Mr. Bald Man. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, so we're going to read through this. I want you guys to be listening really closely because there's some things in this first six chapters that are really important when it comes to, I realize I'm not super, like, centered. Sorry, Ryan. There we go. Okay, so 2 Kings 2, or as the Brits say, 2 Kings 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gigal, and Elijah said to Elisha, we're clear on who's who, right? Elijah, Elisha, okay. Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him. So they're in Bethel now. And these prophet, the sons of the prophets come up to him, and, and, and this is what they're saying. They, they have concern. They're, they go to Elijah sort of privately. They pull him aside, and they say, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Very strange. Keep that in mind. We're going to keep reading. Elijah said to them, Elisha, please stay here in Bethel, now that the, the place that they're at. Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you are yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And again, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Just keep quiet. Please keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him again, now they're in Jericho. And he says, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, you can see this pattern that's happening. I mean, we'll recap this just really quick. So Elijah is now leaving. Whoa, Ryan. Elijah is heading off and he says, Elijah, stay here. I don't want you to come with me. And he's like, I'm not leaving you. I, I'm not leaving you. This is, I don't know if you know this, but you're about to leave. But he doesn't say that. He just goes with him and he says, as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And the strange thing in all of this is, how do the prophets know that Elijah is about to leave? I mean, obviously they're prophets, so the Lord has revealed to them that Elijah is about to leave. So they got word from God saying, hey, this prophet Elijah, the Tishite, the guy who lives in the animal fur and does all these crazy things, he's about to go. And he's not just about to die. He's about to literally leave in all of his life and all of his humanity. Just, just leave, just go. And so they come to Elijah like, hey, buddy, do you know this? Because we just heard from God that he's gone. Like the guy that you've been serving under all these years or who, however long it's been, he's about to leave. You better 
get this all figured out of what you're going to do. But, but why is it that Elijah is asking Elisha to stay back? Why does he keep saying, just stay here? I don't want you to come with me. It's, you need to, you know, we went to this other town. Okay, I drug you along to this town, but I want you to stay here because I'm going to keep moving. God's calling me somewhere else. Just stay here. It seems kind of strange because he literally, like, what we just read last week was he just, just got him. He just brought him into this ministry with him, and now he's like, just stay. I don't want you to come with me. Well, what I believe and what we see in Scripture is that God is testing Elisha to see, are you willing to go? Because you know that he's about to leave, and you know that he's probably going to go to that final location soon. Are you willing to go with him, to continue with him, even though you have this news? This sort of reminds me of when Peter, or sorry, when Jesus is asking Peter, he's like, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yeah, God, Jesus, I love you. He's like, all right, tend my sheep. And then he walks away. It's sort of this weird thing of like, he keeps questioning him, like, like, okay, you're going to stay here, right? Like, this is where you're going to be. And he's like, no, dude, I'm going to follow you forever. And I was just like, okay, I guess you can come with me. But I believe that Elisha was really on trial. He was, he was, God was seeing if he was willing to go this last leg, this last portion of ministry with him. And we see that with Peter and Jesus, we see that Peter's then ministry took off from that moment as he did. He tended the sheep. So the other thing that I find strange, though, is why does Elisha tell the prophets to be quiet? Why is Elisha saying, yeah, I know, I know he's about to leave, but I just, just don't say anything about it. I don't think he's saying it to him. He's not saying, don't tell me anymore, because he knows. What he's trying to say is like, yeah, but don't bring it up with Elijah. It almost seems like this, like, yeah, he's really mad about it. You probably should not say that. <laughs> but really what he's trying to say is he's like, yeah, I believe Elijah knows. Elijah knows he's about to ascend. He's like, yeah, just don't bring it up. Don't try and tell him not to go. Don't try and interfere with this mission. I mean, this guy's been called to do this. You need to just sit back and be like, okay, God, I trust that this is the plan. Just be quiet. Let this happen. It's okay. So we're going to continue to read as he's finished now with these prophets. He's, he's, he's gone through these three different areas, and now he's ready to move on to the Jordan. So we're going to pick up in verse 7. Um, and this, this verse might seem kind of strange because um, we haven't really heard about these people, but it says, 50 men of the sons of the prophets, prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan, both of them being Elijah and Elisha. So these 50 sons of prophets came, and they kind of stood a distance because, like, what I'm imagining is they're like, they're about to see the fireworks show. They're kind of like, oh, I wonder how this is going to happen. <laughs> so they, they stand off just to the distance, and they want to see what happens with Elijah and Elisha. So verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, well, we'll stop right there at eight, actually. Then Elijah took. So we see Elijah take his cloak, smack the water, and the water parts both sides. Very similar to what we see with Moses. Moses stuck his hand over the water, and the waters part. And I, I want to focus in on this because I think this is a real pivotal moment in a real crucial portion that God's trying to teach us in almost like a callback. It's like, you remember that one time that, that we did that? Do you remember the other time we did it? Because this is now the third time that a prophet has 
separated water or crossed a body of, body of water on dry land now. The first one in Exodus, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. And he sticks his, he raises his staff, puts his hand over the water, and then it says that the waters were parted, one to each side, and they crossed. And it says it was there for, for weeks because it took so long to get everybody across. And then when they finally crossed and the Egyptians were taken over by the water, then they worshiped, they prayed, they celebrated. And then the second time that we see is now Joshua, when he leads his people across the Jordan as they head to Jericho. And you all know the story of Jericho where they marched around the walls and the walls fell. So this is just before that. So, Jer- so Joshua is leading his people. This is in Joshua 3.16. <laughs> and the interesting thing that I find, though, is that with Joshua, it wasn't a raising of a hand or some sort of, you know, he didn't have a staff or anything. Like, all he did was he sent down the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. Because, you know, this is the big moment. I mean, the Ark's shown them that it's pretty dang powerful. People touched it. They burned alive. Those kind of things. And the priest, as they approach the water, as soon as their feet touch the water, the water recedes. Now, that might seem really insignificant. Like, okay, that's cool. He did the same thing. But I, he didn't. With Moses, the water was parted down the middle, two water on each side. And, and you've probably seen all the movies and all the, you know, whatever. Whatever your mind goes to with that. But the water is completely walled up on both sides. But with Joshua, the water stops. It says in Joshua 3.16 that the waters heaped up and they were taken back, all the way back to like another city. <clears throat> and then the water that was downriver was completely cut off. So then they walked across. And after they crossed, do you guys remember what they did? They had stones. They had 12 stones for the 12 tribes and they built a monument and it says, and it's there to this day. Anthony, is it really there till this day, or is that just in that time that it was written? <laughs> he couldn't find the 12 stones. But it's interesting to me just the difference in all of these. And again, might seem weird. But something that I feel like is important about this is God doesn't necessarily work in only one single way. We see that as he crosses this way... Elijah and Elisha separate like Moses and Joshua going the other way. Now, there's, there's another significance that I want to find here that um, Anthony and I have been talking about. Because this place in particular, where they're crossing, has a ton of historical significance to the time period of Elisha and Elijah. But also sets up a future event that we might have all heard about of John the Baptist. Now... Historically, and, and where this was placed, we know it's pretty close to Jericho because that's where they had just come from. They were just at Jericho, and then they came to the Jordan, whereas with Joshua, they were heading to Jericho. And we see that this is the same place that Joshua led the Israelites across the water is now where Elijah is separating the water to head back. Now, that seems really cool because, oh, that's the same place. But it gets even better because... About, I don't know, 500 years later, I mean, hundreds of years later, when John the Baptist starts his ministry, we see him baptizing people in the Jordan. And oddly enough, people keep saying, is this Elijah? Why would they be Elijah? Well, we know that Elijah was said that he would return. There would be a return of Elijah, so people were waiting for that. But beyond that, John is baptizing in the same place that Elijah had 
disappeared from, taken away, because they were looking for him for a long time, and we'll get into that for a while. But John is baptizing people the same place that Elijah would disappeared. And not only that, he baptized Jesus in this same place. Now, I don't know if you guys believe in holy water a lot, but that water's got to be a little bit holy. I mean, this, this thing has seen, it's seen some things. I bet those 12 rocks sitting there by the tribes of Judah are just like hanging out, having a great time. It's probably the most peaceful place in the world. But the other thing that's interesting to me is as they recognize John the Baptist, John the Baptist was kind of known for being a little bit weird. I mean, he lived in the wilderness. He wore animal skin cloaks. He ate from the milk and the honey in the wild. And then he came out of the forest and said, the Lord is coming. I mean, he was probably a weird dude. So it makes sense also why people would say, like, is this Elijah? Because that guy, Elijah, he kind of wore the same thing. I mean, literally in 1 Kings, just before, or sorry, in 2 Kings 1, just before this passage that we're reading, we see servants who were sent to go to another kingdom who are kind of uh, what's the word? Intercepted by Elijah. And the king asked, him, well, what did he look like? He's like, well, he kind of wore like animal cloak fur thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's Elijah the Tisha. Yeah, he's known for that. So we know this is kind of his calling card. He's got this animal skin cloak. And so as John comes out, there's a lot of similarities of happening right here. Now, is John the resurrection resurrection of Elijah? No, he's not. We know that Elijah's coming is a, a different situation. But it's interesting to me to make this correlation because I think that we need to have a good understanding of this place, the place that Elijah now has taken Elisha. He smacked the water. The water parted like Moses did, and they head across. Some amazing implication. I'm going to forget about that word. Some amazing just picture of what is happening right here in this place. Now, I want to go back to what I had mentioned about this sort of repeating of things that God does. We see through Scripture. There's a lot of repeating of miracles, repeating of situations, even kingdoms doing certain sins or certain people groups falling into certain things. There's a lot of this continuation, a lot of this sort of, yeah, we've done this before, we've seen this before. But I want to challenge us with something today Because in Exodus, like I said, as Moses parts the sea and as Joshua and Joshua recedes the water all the way back, that's not really a repeat miracle. It isn't like Joshua was like, oh, Moses, what did Moses do? Okay, he stood like this. He had his his hand out like that. And then the water separated. No, he literally just it's like, well, priest, you'll go down, you'll do your thing, and then it'll completely go back. It's completely different. And even with Elijah, though it's similar in the way Moses does it, he smacks the water with his cloak, that weird cloak. Man, I don't know how long he washes that, but it smacked the water. I and mean, that's, that's kind of asking for a situation. But, but we see that there is a difference. There is a sort of non-congruence with, with how this works. I mean, I thought Moses was the only one who could separate the water. He could only do it this one certain way. Why am I saying this? Why am I focusing on this water? Because God does not work in only one way. God does not work in only one way. You cannot live your life thinking that if I just, if, if I just have this certain formula, then I'll receive blessing from God. There's not an equation to give healing to others, and there's not some sort of recipe to be a godly person. Because for some of you, 
your chicken soup soul has gotten real sour and real bitter. We are not people of the 10-step program to find peace with God because my heavy heart is so heavy. God is going to reach into your heavy heart. It's not going to take a 10-step program. It might put you in the right mindset. I'm not saying there's no reason to do that. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, at the end of the time, when you receive the healing, it isn't because of all these little things that you've tried to do like Moses did or Joshua did or Elijah did. It's because you reached out to God and said, God, I got a heavy heart and I don't know how to receive peace, but I just need some peace today. God does not work only one way. God is not confined to natural. He works in the supernatural, and he can take a heavy heart and give you joy and peace beyond reason, but not because you completed that joy program, but because you had faith to say, God, my heart is heavy, and it's in need of a tune-up. Restore my soul. So let's keep reading. 2 Kings 2, 9 through 14. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, now let's focus in on this today. Okay, good, it is up there. This is a very bizarre scripture, and it took me a long time to fully understand exactly what Elisha is saying here. So please, 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 please listen into this. Please, says Elisha, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. We're going to continue to ring. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried. Now, this part's kind of bizarre, too. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Quickly, I'm going to talk about this because we're not going to focus on this. But just to clarify, this is what he's saying. He's saying, my father, my father, the chariots of horsemen of Israel. He's comparing Elijah to the horsemen of Israel because Elijah was basically like the last, the last portion. I mean, he was, he was what was protecting Israel from, from everything. I mean, when the kings had any sort of concern, they would go to Elijah and say, hey, what do we do? Do we go to battle? Do we go to do this thing? And Elijah represented basically the army as it went before. And so he said, my father, my, fa- my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. We'll read on. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. One more verse. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Four times now. Four times now water has been separated. And Elisha takes the same cloak that Elijah had given him when he first called him. And he does the same thing. He wraps it around. He smacks the water. And then the same thing happens. The water parts and he crosses. Now, 
we see evidence of the spirit of Elijah being passed on to Elisha, not only by Elisha witnessing the event of Elijah, of Elijah being taken away, but also by Elijah, Eli, sorry, Elisha being able to do the same miracle that Elijah had just performed. And he even says before that, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's calling us, like, okay, if it happened, then, then this is it. Then let, let me see. I saw him rise. I know that that's what Elijah said. He said I was going to receive it now, so let's see if it works. And then sure enough, the water parts, and he goes. Now, that's the end of what we're going to talk about today. But I want to back up a little bit because what we just saw was a dude just get taken up in a whirlwind of fire and chariots surrounding him and taking him and parting them and, and Elisha standing there in disbelief as this happened. And it's probably the most intense and outlandish way possible to take someone up into heaven. But just before that, we hear Elisha answer a question that Elijah gives. Elisha, sorry, Elijah asks, what shall I do for you before I go? Basically, Elijah is giving Elisha a blank check. He's saying, I'm about to leave. Is there one last request that I can bring up to the big guy upstairs before I go? What is it that you desire most? What is it that I could leave with you as you go away from here? Now, I like to picture this event in my brain. I don't know if you guys are very visual learners or if you're, you're more, you know, stick to the program with words and stuff. But I like to picture this moment as Elijah and Elisha are walking. It says they're walking together as he says this. And I like to, I like to imagine that Elisha had no hesitation, that this was something that he had been thinking about for a really, really long time because he knew that this moment would come. He knew that one day Elijah would be taken up because God had revealed to him that, and he had used the prophets to reveal that to him even more so. And he has this thought in his mind of, well, what, what would I ask? <laughs> what would I ask if Elijah asked that? And I believe without hesitation he asked for this double portion. I don't think he needed any time to think about what he wanted. He wanted this double portion. Now, this double portion can be kind of confusing, because it may seem like what we're saying is he's going to receive a double portion of the power that Elijah has. That's not entirely true. Because we see through Elisha's life, he wasn't like double the Elijah that Elijah ever was. It didn't show him like doing these amazing things. It was like, that was way better than Elijah could do. If anything, he was kind of a subpar Elijah in all honesty. I mean, like just out of this story, and whoever's speaking next week, I'm really sorry, but he like calls down bears to eat kids. Like, I mean, like, he isn't necessarily this extension of Elijah. What he's talking about and what we have seen through Scripture is this double portion is more like a firstborn's inheritance of some sort, this firstborn blessing. And we've seen this before. You probably heard about this, too, with Isaac and Jacob and Esau. This was sort of the similar sort of inheritance he was given. It was the firstborn that was supposed to go to Esau, then Jacob ended up taking it. But just to get you guys in the frame of mind with this, this double portion was double sort of the, the mantle or the, the person and the, the understanding that Elijah was. He wanted to go back to these 50 sons of the prophets and be like, Elijah just gave me my card that says, I am 
the firstborn of the sons of prophets. He wanted to be able to say, Elijah gave, I was with him and he gave me this and now I represent or I am the one that's going beyond what Elijah did and now I am the firstborn of the sons of the prophets. I know that's a little confusing because obviously he did receive power. He received power from God in that moment, but it isn't double power. It is a double anointing or a double of of a, a firstborn's grasp on, on all of this. So if you're following me with that, we're going to continue to keep going. And in all of this, what he, what he wants on that sort of sheet of paper is he wants to be Elijah's spiritual heir. So like an heir, like an heir to a throne or, or an heir to a kingdom. He wants to be this spiritual heir that has promised this, this sort of understanding, this, this sort of next level of, of being a prophet. But what's interesting is Elijah's response. See, Elijah doesn't just say, you are my son now, be blessed, be on your way. No, he says, this is a hard request. This is really difficult. Now, is he saying that because it's hard for Elijah to do that? Like, he's like, well, that takes a lot of power. I need to summon my Jeddah force powers to give you this this double portion. No, what he's saying is, it's not up to me. This, this double portion that you asked for, I can't give this to you. I can give in a good word. I can say, yeah, you've done the work. You've, you've done the things to earn this, but it's not up to me. God is going to determine if you are worthy of receiving this. Worthiness is a really difficult thing. But what Elijah is saying is, as I go, as I am taken up now, God will determine if you are ready. And, and I'm going to promise you, if you see me get taken away, if you see the process of that, if you see the chariots of fire, which I believe if he didn't, if he was not worthy, I think he would have saw probably a weirder situation because he wouldn't have seen the windstorm. He wouldn't have seen the fire. He wouldn't have seen the chariots. He would have just seen like, Elijah starts spinning and then just be like shot up into space. Like, I think that would almost freak me out more if there wasn't like a purpose behind what was happening. I, I want to know why it's happening, even if it's absolutely terrifying and I'll probably never forget it the rest of my life and never sleep. But I want to be able to see that. And so we see Elisha be worthy. As he walked away from that moment, he, he knew that the same cloak that, that Elijah gave him that placed over him when he first called him, was now his. That he could take that mantle. That he could take that responsibility. Because he knew he was worthy. He knew he was worthy. I want to challenge you guys with something as we, as we wrap up um, today's message. Um, worship team, you can start making your way back. Do you feel like you would be worthy? Or what I wrote in my notes that seems more intense is, are you worthy? Are you worthy of this blessing from Elijah? And maybe some of you are thinking like, yeah, I think so. Probably. I could probably do that. I mean, Elisha wasn't that cool of a dude. I mean, he was just a farmer. I could probably do that. And maybe some of you, the wiser ones of you, would be like, heck no. <laughs> no. No, because 
because I haven't met the expectation. I haven't, I haven't kept to the law. I haven't kept to the, the insane amount of levels of, of processes that you have to go through to even become a prophet in this time. But I'm nowhere close to even understanding of how to do that. Like, yeah, God's called me to be in ministry, and God's called me to do these amazing things, but, but man, I don't think I deserve it. It's something that God has gifted me with. Well, here's the point. We don't live in the day of Elijah and Elisha. We don't live in a time where we are bound by the law to death. We don't live in a time where people are just waiting for that. We live in a time where Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus rewrote the law, Jesus came to save you, not because you are worthy, not because you're able to carry the hammer of Thor, you're worthy enough to to carry those things, but because you are loved, because You were chosen, but because you are being redeemed by the love and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you think, well, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to you. It means a lot. Because our lives are bound to death. Our lives are only building to death. And that is First of all, a sober thought, but what we have, what we have, what we have received, what we can receive today is the love and the peace that comes and the salvation that comes in loving and believing in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? The life of Elijah shows us a man who trusted God probably more than anyone in the Bible. He trusted God to save him from Ahab and Jezebel. He trusted him to show up when the prophets of Baal put him to the test. And he trusted him to bring rain to a drought in his kingdom. And he trusted him to give Elisha what Elisha deserved. It wasn't up to him. It wasn't up to him. He could have sure said it. He could have said, hey, Elijah, yeah, I think you're worth it. But he said, this is not up to me. I want to read a verse to you. There's actually our verse from kids camp this week that just kind of fit in really well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. If you've come in here today and you said, God, I, I'm, I'm ready to receive you. And if you came in today and said, God, I don't know who you are, but I feel your presence. I feel something that I haven't felt before, and I'm understanding something that I've never understood before. I want you to be able to stand today in faith saying, Jesus, I believe in you. So as we pray, would you just pray along with this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I am a broken human. I have not met the expectation of your law. 
But God, I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would come into my heart and restore me. I ask that you would redeem me. God, I ask for a seat in heaven. I ask that you would bring me to salvation. Lord God, I trust and know that you are Lord, that you are Savior, and you are King. So God, I give this to you. So God, as we sing and as we lift this time up to you in praise and in worship, I pray that you would just speak to us. God, would you give us vision, Lord, give us fresh anointing. Give us, God, a understanding of your goodness and know that God, you are love, and our worth is found in you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen.